Chapter 18. You was a lamb? They had a few things in their favor. The first was that the don'ts master tracking the blade's movements was very old. Even in an atlan-drawn carriage and with the Patoro's armsmen clearing the way, he could only move so quickly and for so long. Fallow said Dun Poston was easily tired out, especially when focusing his powers. The next thing in their favor was Kyla's insight combined with Wen's devious mind. They were going to hide the blade inside a great house where Patoro would not dare to send his men uninvited. The lord who owned such an estate would think Patoro mad for even suggesting that his prized dagger had found its way into his home. Not just any great house, though. It had been Fallow, of course, who had suggested stashing the blade in a Radiance house. The lad had gone quickly from calling them all kill-kissin' simpletons to reveling in his father's misfortune. The man tried to kill me, he crowed. This is the least of what he deserves. The final advantage was the cats. Just as they'd helped coordinate the thievery that morning, the communication they allowed would be essential for the caper to come. But first, they had to get the blade into a Radiance great house, preferably one who already detested Tarek Patoro. Fallow had several names in mind. Henley chimed in with several more. Radiant Gylock was first on Fallow's list, but that estate was nearly to the Citadel, much too far of a trek with too many watch patrols to avoid. They needed someone further downslope, closer to the baths of Ori. They decided on Radiant Hyali's great house after Henley reminded Fallow that their daughter Elise had recently been found murdered in Radiant Gylock's hedge maze. It was a very sordid affair that intrigued Kylid to no end. The aging Radiant Hyali and his wife had no other children and were far past the age to have another. This meant many, many, many people were pressing suits to inherit the title once the old couple croaked. First among these was Tarek Patoro. Radiant Hyali knew this, so he felt a special hostility toward the merchant. Henley and Fallow met up with Kyla atop the Yin Inn, and together they worked their way upslope. For now, they simply needed to keep the blade moving around the city. Wen had taken a double dose of Finta's tincture, paid for with one of the three gold skillets Kyla had managed to grab before dashing from the den. Wen's cough had receded, allowing him to lurk on the roofway and monitor the slow progress of Dunposton's carriage along the sorrows. Kyla did not intend to plant the blade in the Hyali's great house until after dark, so they had quite a day of it, running the roofway, keeping low like hounds escaped from their kennels. It was great fun. The cats were not nearly as excited to be constantly on the move, and finally all of them joined Lop atop the tea house overlooking Dun Meadow Plaza. They nestled in the sun there, dozing. As long as their humans didn't range too far afield, everyone could stay in contact easily enough, if certain cats could be persuaded to wake up and pass a message. There were no other thieves or shady types on the roofway during daylight, so Kyla didn't fear running into any. This meant that she could pass the blade off to Henley or Fallow and let them run a long loop around Terraside, confident they wouldn't lose it. All the running worked up a huge hunger, and she was delighted when Fallow returned from one such excursion, bearing a piping hot angerberry pie and a ewer of fresh goat's milk. They shoved gobs of pie into their mouths with their fingers and cleaned their paws like cats. This is a mouse-minded scheme, Fallow said cheerfully. You do realize that, don't you? 
He was grinning madly, which made his face look particularly demonic. But I love it. Oh, I do love it. He elbowed Kyla, who sat on the yin-in's roof, feet dangling over a back alley. Henley had taken the hard blade and was running Fallow's loop the other way around. Do you know how to get into a great house? Fallow asked. Kyla hadn't given it any thought. She assumed she would jostle a window open and squeeze through. Kitchen door, never locked, Fallow said sagely. Go in there and you'll never even have to go into the house proper. The servants have their own corridors and dining rooms and whatnot below stairs. Just find a footman's closet or some such and stuff the dagger in the back. That was helpful as far as it went, but putting the blade in a closet didn't seem like such a good idea. The second half of the plan was to recover the blade for Petoro and extract a hefty fee. The whole idea was to finally be what she and Wen had always dreamt of being. Hide the blade where someone might stumble across it, and the scheme would fail. Maybe I'll just wedge it in a chimney, she said. Never go inside at all. Fallow guffawed. You do that, Kyla Sai. I want to hear how that works out. He wouldn't say anything more on the topic, but Kyla got the clear impression he was making fun of her. Have you ever been inside one of these houses? he asked. Kyla gave him a flat look. How many cheapskate girls were ever allowed into the lowliest terracide tavern? None. On what occasion would she have gone into a Radiance Great House? I've wanted to sneak into one for a long time, but Wen won't let me. He says it's too dangerous. He's letting you do it now. What's changed? He sees beyond this heist. If we succeed in recovering the blade for your father, then we are recovery agents. Others will hire us. I like it better when you talk cheap's talk. You getting serious on me makes me nervous. Fallow plucked a stray pie crumb from his shirt and popped it into his mouth. As for becoming recovery agents, Fellow continued, I do recall my old papa used to hire such on occasion. I had the impression they were expensive thieves. No, recovery agents restore items to their rightful owners. We find them, we return them, and we get paid. It's an honorable trade. Mm-hmm. Well then, I guess it's all very simple to determine that your client isn't lying to you about being the rightful owner. Fellow was being obtuse on purpose. She decided not to fall into his conversational trap. The boy loved nothing more than an argument, and he was good at it. By the end, you'd find yourself all tongue-tangled and arguing his side of the debate. Remember, kitchen doors are always unlocked, he said as if he'd never left the topic. Radiance call on their servants to do or get or cook something at all hours. Paul pricked my nose if I wouldn't rather be a latrine digger than a Radiance cook. So... Mark me. Find the kitchen door and sneak in that way. There'll be all manner of cabinets and crannies to hide that blade in within the first five paces. Henley returned from his loop, puffing, cheeks red. He was happy to do his part, but he derived no particular joy in victimizing Tarek Pertoro. Is it time yet? he asked, eyeing the sky. The day was waning, and Kylie could tell he wanted to get on with the adventure. Not because he was particularly eager for the excitement, but because he wanted it over with. We can't venture into Grissonside until it's full dark, Kyla said. Nax, find out where Dunposton is. The answer was a long time coming. Ollie was reluctant to wake up enough to relay messages to and from when. Nax finally sent, Poston just turned around near the Herodon Gate, returning downslope toward you. 
Kyla craned her neck to look up the switchbacks of the Street of Sorrows. Taking the dagger bundle from Henley, she set off on another downhill run. She loitered on the roof of the Cherry Bottom Inn until Poston's carriage had come all the way down to the Cheeps. At that point, she bolted uphill again. She grinned to herself, wagering it drove the old man mad. His troop of armsmen were tired, sour, and quite obviously losing faith in the don'ts master's ability. Perfect. It was dark when she rejoined her friends on top of the Yin Inn. Wen was there too, and together they continued upslope. With the cats spying over Dunmetal Plaza, they knew just when the way was clear of patrols and don'ts masters. They hustled through, gathering the cats before sliding through the Trialti Arch to Grissonside. The streets here were quiet as folk tucked into their fine dinners. As the band of thieves crept past the baths of Ori, Fallow made a lurid joke about a sensual and her seventeen lovers, the punchline being, and they found her the next morning on the roof. Kyla didn't get it, but Wen snickered until he had a coughing fit. They halted until he recovered, huddling close to a stone wall. Ahead of them lay the street of the Diadem, a continuation of the sorrows, but with a much nicer name. There weren't many hiding places along the street aside from an occasional shrub. Kyla felt very exposed. There would be no running the rooftops here. The homes were too spread out and set off from the road by large park-like lawns. Each was surrounded by stone walls. Broken glass adorned the tops of these to discourage would-be wall jumpers. Fallow said it was to keep young lovers from attempting late-night trysts more than to keep thieves out. Kyla thought it a waste of glass. The walls were rough and provided numerous finger grips and toeholds. And avoiding the glass spikes would be as simple as crunching them down with a bit of rock. Which one is the High Alley Great House? she asked. This produced a strange silence. Finally, Wen poked Fallow's shoulder. You don't know which one it is, do you? It's dark. I need to see the houses. I'm sure I'll recognize it. There's a great fountain in the front. Because Grissonside was host to the very rich, the thieves had to contend with the downsides of luxury. There were more Mercus lights, for instance, which stood atop poles every thirty paces. In Terracide, such lights were helpful in casting dark shadows in doorways, rooftops, and the mouths of alleys. Here they illuminated everything in glaring white. More watch patrols, too. Kyla heard one approaching before she saw it. The only advantage remaining was that, like the Street of Sorrows, the diadem continued to switch back as it climbed the slope toward the citadel. This meant that one could shortcut it via public stairs, and so she led them to the first stairwell and shooed them up. Unlike such stairs and terracide, these were not hemmed in on either side by buildings, but were open to view from all directions. She hoped that the watch would see four people walking calmly up the steps, and that they'd be far enough away not to see little details like her lack of shoes, ragged clothes, and cat perched on shoulder. The patrol consisted of three men, two carrying whip axes on their shoulders. The limber shafts made the curved axe heads bounce as they walked. When accompanied by the jingle and clank of armor, the whip axe's motion became a weird sort of dance. Slow down, Fallow said as they climbed. The Hayali house is on that first stretch of the diadem down there. Kyla scanned the section of street that passed above them, tracing the higher switchback and continuing up until she spotted the next patrol. They were moving very quickly. We'll wait for the patrol below us to go into Dunmetal Plaza. 
Then we hot-footed back down. You better find the Hayali house before that next patrol comes around the bend. The night was chilly and a cold wind blew from the west, bringing with it the icy flavor of winter plucked from the tips of the Honor Mountains. Fallow shivered and looked up at the peaks behind the citadel, only visible as jagged shapes of blackness blotting out the stars. He padded something tucked into the waistband of his trousers. Kyla didn't need the Mercus vision to guess it was that rusty old dagger of his. She'd given it back to him that morning as a gesture of goodwill. She already regretted it. She noted that Wen had Cain strapped to his thigh, just as father had worn it. She had Petoro's hard blade still wrapped in a scrap of that morning's dress skirt. That left Henley alone among them, unarmed. What a wretched band of scoundrels they were. The first patrol disappeared through the Trialti arch. Kyla and her friends descended back to the lowest section of the diadem. Fallow took the lead, looking left and right as they passed each great house gate. Most gates stood open, inviting. A carriage barreled down the street, drawn by beautiful rust-colored atlans. The thieves moved aside. The carriage didn't slow as it clattered past them. I think this is it, Fallow said, peering down a gravel drive toward a palatial home that could have housed three yin-ins inside it. Mercus lights glowed from every window, and the faint tinkle of music drifted across the lawn. A line of carriages stood outside, drivers huddled together in gossip circles. An old armsman stepped from his post at the gate. Is the radiant Pauline expecting you? Uh, no, sir, Fallow said quickly. I was just admiring the fine tuck pointing in the brickwork. Excellent craftsmanship, that. Top shelf. Turning away from the man, Fallow's eyes bulged as he motioned them to move along. The old armsman squinted after them a moment longer, then returned to his shack, muttering. I think that was the Pauline great house, Fallow said. You think? Kyla said flatly. Do you remember which side of the road the Hayali house is on? Henley asked. I seem to recall it on the right. Yes, I do believe that is correct. There was a fountain. How do you know? Wen asked, his voice tense. Father sometimes went to the citadel. He supplied some things to the kitchens up there. He would point out his enemies to me as the carriage took us up. You've been to the citadel? Henley asked, voice dark with envy. Father never took me, though, to be honest, he rarely had occasion to go. The keels provided all the trez up there. This is a lovely night for a stroll and some chit-chat, Kyla said in overly sweet tones, but perhaps you two could find us the Hayali house so we can get to work. The next house was the last on this section before the switchback, and it was indeed the Hayali great house. Fallow was certain because even though it lacked any fountain out front, the closed gate bore the Hayali seal depicting a sprig of holly in a hawk's beak. The windows were dark, not even a hint that someone lived there. I think perhaps they've gone to the country, Henley said. Do you suppose? Fallow said, thumbnail clamped between his teeth. The Radiant has to be home for our ruse to work. My father will just barge in if the old man isn't around to refuse him. Where do the armsmen sleep? Wen asked. There's usually a barrack somewhere on the grounds behind the house. Ten men at most, likely getting a little into the gray years, most of them. They get discharged from her enlightened army and find work as private guards. The boys continued to speculate on things they knew nothing about while Kyla approached the wall. There were no broken bottle spikes here. 
The guard shack behind the gate stood empty as a skull. Can you jump up? she sent to Nax. In answer, the cat leapt from her shoulder to the top of the wall. Dark on the other side, Nax sent. Good. Kyla was up and over before her friends could start hissing questions about her sanity. The only way to find out if anyone was home was to look. It did not look promising. The drive was lined with Mercus lights, but none were shining. At least the darkness made it safe to cross the lawn. Once her eyes adjusted, she was able to avoid tripping over raised flower beds and rock gardens well enough. Remembering Fallow's advice about going through the kitchen door, she swung wide around the house. None of the front windows were lit. A bit early for bed, she thought, even for gray hairs like the Hialis were purported to be. Behind the house stood several more structures, a barn, probably for Atlans, a squat carriage house, and a long two-story building that she guessed was the armsman's barracks. She noted whale oil light coming from the windows there. Across a manicured park was a stone building atop a rise. It was dark and windowless. Surrounding it all was densely packed woods. She made a wide circuit, chancing a quick peek inside the barracks. A dozen men sat to a Tillsday dinner. They looked like armsmen who had absolutely no notion of wielding weapons tonight. Good. The back of the house was lit by two Mercus lights. A set of windows to the south were lit from within, and a row of windows just at ground level were lit up too. At least the servants were home. When says the watch patrol is coming downslope toward them, Nack sent. Tell them to come over the wall. There aren't any armsmen about. Moments later, Nack sent. They're in. Wen wants to know if you need help. Doing what? We can't all go inside. A distant cough came to her ears. Wen. He hadn't exerted himself this much in a long time, and Finta's medicine might be wearing off. It was time to plant the blade and get out of there. There were several doors along the back of the house. Which one led to the kitchen was anyone's guess. She decided to go to the north end, where there were fewer lights shining from basement windows. She peered in to discover a girl lying on a bed, clothed in maid's livery, reading a book. Stuffing down a wave of jealousy for the abject comfort and luxury the girl had settled into, Kyla slipped to the next window. And the next. And the next. There were certainly plenty of servants inside. Chicken, Nack sent, darting ahead. Sure enough, the aroma of roasting chicken sent tempting tendrils into the autumn air. The pie Kyla had enjoyed earlier was long gone. Her stomach rumbled. This must be the kitchen door, she sent to Nax. The smell was certainly stronger here. The moment had come. She was about to go from innocently sneaking around to brazenly entering a house to which she had not been invited. A distinction that had real consequences. Caught outside, it might be a week or two in the West Bunk. Caught inside, she might spend the rest of her life imprisoned. A high window over the door glowed with the orange light of burning whale oil. She touched the door latch and gave a slight tug. Ollie says when says to hurry, Nack sent. The door was locked. Tell Fallow he was wrong about the kitchen door, and tell when I need the lockpicking kit. He was as loath to let Kyla carry father's tools as he was father's blade. That was because he knew she'd use them, which meant she'd go into a house. But now she had to wait for him to bring them. This was not at all how things were supposed to go. Kyla studied the kitchen yard while she waited. 
It had a low wall of its own that encompassed a large garden, now mostly put to bed for the season. A few stalks of kale and a rambling squash vine remained. A tool shed stood against the rear wall. Most of the yard lay in shadow. Beyond it, the park-like estate continued, blurring into the moonlit treetops and deep shadow underneath. A dog barked from beyond the barracks. Don't worry, Nex. He's probably in a kennel. The hairs on her arms prickled as Nex sent a wave of trepidation through the bond. When is coming, Nex sent. Her brother loped from the north side of the house and met her. Which door? She pointed. Let me do it. Ollie slunk close along the side of the house, his creamy splotches glowing in the moonlight. He was not a subtle animal. Wen handed Kyla a small canvas roll, father's lockpicking kit. This is not going as smoothly as we'd hoped, he said. There are quite a few more carriages out on the diadem now. Kyla unfastened the tie on the canvas roll. It unfurled on her palm. She was always delighted by the many little probes and hooks and wires father had made during his time as a locksmith. Wen had apprenticed as a locksmith for several years, so he was quite adept at the art of picking. Kyla had an instinctive dislike for locked doors and lids. They were like an itch in need of a good scratch. Selecting two thin steel probes, she knelt by the door. You go hide and take that mangy possum of yours with you. Wen stifled a rattling cough into the crook of his elbow. He knew he was a danger to her and everyone else. Choking on the convulsions of his wretched lungs, he shuffled back the way he'd come. Ollie stayed. Tell Ollie to go with Wen, she sent to Nex. Ollie wants chicken. Me too. Kyla bent to her work. She slipped her probes into the barrel of the lock, feeling for the familiar shapes and contours of tumblers. She was not much aided by her trembling hands. The dog barked again. Ollie's ears perked and his eyes flashed toward the source of the noise. Nax crept close to him. Ollie demands you hurry up. He's not leaving without chicken. From her tone, it was clear that Nax had the same expectation. I'm sure the kitchen mistress will be eager to serve you a platter just as soon as we break into her kitchen. Good. I was joking. So, no chicken? No! And not just because they were unwelcome intruders or reviled cats, but also because she couldn't get the killed damn lock open. The dog barked again. A second later, Nax sent, Fallow says a load of carriages is coming into the driveway. What? The front gate is open, and a line of carriages is coming in. Henley says the Radiant was at Tilsday dinner and has invited friends back. Kills tears in a bucket, she whispered. Frantic now, she jostled the lock. Her heart hammered and her vision began to swim a little. That was bad. No, no, it was good. There was no lock, no door, no probes, no cats, no delicious chicken. Just the unnamed world. She was instantly rewarded by a return of her Mercus vision. She studied the gray glow of the lock and tumblers. The keyhole was nice and wide, set into a brass faceplate. She guided her glowing steel pick to trip the first tumbler, held it with the second probe, then moved the first to trip the next. It was easy, but then the lock mechanism moved by itself, pinching one of her picks. Someone was unlocking the door from inside. She jerked back. The lock gave a well-oiled click. 
With an inelegant frog hop, she leapt away from the door, picks tinkling onto the stone stoop. The door swung out, concealing her where she had flattened against the wall. Nax huddled behind her, trembling. But not Ollie. He sat on the stoop, licking a paw. The light from inside cast a rectangle of gold over his creamy white body. A rustle in the hedgerow behind Kyla told of Nax's speedy retreat. Panic charged to the bond, and it took all of Kyla's will not to recklessly trail after her cat. She thought furiously at Ollie. What are you doing? But she didn't have a bond with Ollie. An elderly woman's voice trilled from the door. What is this? A beloved one! A delighted yet weepy gasp. Oh, you poor dear! Ollie looked up and mewled pathetically. Kyla's mouth fell open. Nax, ask Ollie what in kills a cursed name he's doing. He says he's doing what you couldn't, getting inside. But he doesn't need to go in. But there's chicken. A gray-headed woman about four and a half feet tall came onto the stoop and scooped Ollie into her arms. Oh, you poor, poor little fuzzy muffy. What happened to your fur? Blessed Ori, but you're wasting away. The woman retreated. The door swung shut behind her. Fortunately, she hadn't noticed the picks on the stoop, and the lock did not snick into place. Paul frowns with one side of her mouth and smiles with the other. Kyla snatched up her picks and returned them to the canvas roll and stuffed it into a pocket. Still gripping the skirt-wrapped blade, she gave the door handle a gentle pull. She peeked into the kitchen foyer. Smells of roast chicken and fresh-baked bread and hearty stew bubbled forth, making her stomach twist and growl. The little entry foyer lay empty. The old woman was keeping up a constant patter about Ollie's adorable qualities. Just a tiny little baby is what you are. But that fur, what happened to you? Did a mean old sheep herder think you was a lamb? Kyla squeezed into the foyer and gently shut the door. The heat inside was a remarkable contrast to the outdoor chill. A hallway led ahead, bending around the foot of a stairway climbing to the main floor. An opening to the right led to the kitchen proper. With her murkous vision, Kyla could see copper pots and pans hanging from hooks on one wall. The old lady was in there with Ollie. Are you somewhere safe? she sent to Nax. Nowhere is safe. Ask Ollie what's going on in the kitchen. He's having some cream in a dish and a bit of nice chicken. Bring some out. Ask Ollie how many people are in there. A pause. Kyla was tempted to just make a break for the stairs, but she had no idea where she was going. More than one, Nax sent. Cats didn't have much sense for numbers, four being the maximum they could conceive of. Even that was a challenge. Tell Ollie to make a racket, draw attention away from the doorway so I can pass by. A mournful mewling arose from the kitchen. Oh, the pitiful little starveling. He's so unaccustomed to food, it pains his wee belly. Another woman laughed and made baby talk at Ollie, and then Mr. Flad will hand him to Dunkoak if he sees him. I could use two gullets myself. Old woman, you'll find yourself scuttling coal for a tin year if you peep a word about this darling to anyone. And Radiant Hayali will find he's eating cold soup if he harms a twig of hair on this pumpkin's noggin. But let's put him out of easy view just in case. I suppose he don't look evil to me, Mrs. Nanley, just a sweet animal. There was cats galore when I was a lass, 
all gone now except this wee potato. Yes, you're a sweet little potato, aren't you? Ali says go, Nack sent. Kyla stepped past the door and pressed her back to the wall. She saw two women stooping over Ollie. The cat was sprawled across the floor in a state of total relaxation with his chin over a saucer. She tried to look everywhere at once for a safe place to stash the gold blade. She crept past the ascending stairs and into the corridor beyond. Loads of people arriving, Nack sent. Front entry, one says get out. To emphasize this, Nack sent an image that momentarily filled Kyla's vision. It showed the front entry, now all lit up with Mercus lights. A column of seven carriages had pulled into the front drive. Another one was arriving. Her vision returned and she stumbled, shouldering into a door under the stairs. It's Mr. Flad, the young kitchen maid cried. Hide him, Ollie mewled, followed by the hard clunk of a cabinet slamming shut. Kyla opened the door she'd bumped into, discovered a butler's pantry. She slipped in. No sooner had she shut the door than Mrs. Nanley's voice came from the corridor. Nobody here. Kyla swallowed hard and pressed a hand to her chest. The Mercus vision showed her the brass doorknob, trays of polished silver cutlery, goblets of every size, decanters, knives, and serving utensils, all silver, all right there in front of her. Above her were more cabinets. She tugged one open and felt around inside, folded cloth, napkins perhaps. She slid the bundled-up dagger behind the stack, deep in the back. It would have to do. Thunks sounded above her head, someone walking upstairs. More thunks and scrapes as chairs were dragged around. Someone ran down the steps, ringing a bell. Visitors, we have visitors. Tea and assortments, if you please, Mrs. Nanley. Tea and assortments, five minutes. Within seconds, pots and pans clanged onto rooftops. Kyla could see the copper glow of the cookware moving about right through the wall of her closet hiding spot. Ollie says he was stuffed into the dark. Wen says get him and come out. With the arrival of guests, more servants began to emerge from their rooms. The hall was soon swarming with movement. Kyla could hear their footsteps, curses, and laughs, and she could see their clasps, hairpins, and buttons. No doubt the butler himself would soon come, and she'd be discovered. She eyed the other cabinets in the pantry. She might fit in one of the lowers, but they had things inside she'd have to move elsewhere. That would make a racket. The kitchen door wasn't far. She could just dash through before anyone realized she didn't belong, but they'd most certainly see her and raise the alarm. And they'd know she'd been in the pantry, so they'd inspect it to see what she'd stolen and find the dagger. More footfalls overhead as servants began ascending the stairs to see to the guests. That thinned the traffic in the hallway considerably. Tell Ali to wreak havoc. I'll sneak out the door and leave it open for him. Nax replied only with a sensation of terror. Dogs bayed in the distance. Are the hounds loose? Hunting me, hunting Lop. Kyla had to get out, now. The dagger and the whole caper didn't matter a lick if something happened to Nax. Scanning the hall with her Mercus vision, she watched the last set of brass buttons go by. She opened the door and crept out. There was bustle in the kitchen, but not much talking. She risked a quick peep around the corner, just in time to see a footman bearing a tray and heading straight for her. Paul's grace smiled upon her, for he was looking at his burden rather than ahead. She pulled back, heard a noise behind her. A door down the hall swung open. A black-booted foot emerged. Nowhere to go except up. 
She backed onto the stairs. She had seconds before the footman would turn the corner. He had a tray. That meant he was heading upstairs. These stairs. Mouthing a string of frantic curses, she continued up to the landing. A glance showed her the next flight was empty. She continued up. There was a door here to the main level of the residence. No good. That's where all the guests were congregating. The stairs were plain, sturdy. The rail was well-polished but not ornate. This had to be a servant's stair. At the next landing, she found two doors. Her vision showed brass sconces on walls behind both. But there was gold leaf behind the door to her right. The gold was arranged in squares and rectangles. Picture frames. Such luxury wouldn't be squandered for the servant's benefit, which meant the other door led to their rooms. A line of brass buttons was approaching from that direction, and the footman with the tray was about to reach the first landing below. He would see her if she lingered. Decision made for her, she opened the door to the residence and stepped into a realm of absolute luxury. Hi, this is Eric Edstrom, the author of Thief of Sparks and your narrator. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey with this audiobook. If you have something nice to say, please send me an email at podcast at ericedstrom.com. And that's E-R-I-C-E-D-S-T-R-O-M dot com. If you want to support the podcast, my favorite way is for you to buy a copy of the ebook, which you can find on Amazon. My next favorite way, but also something that I adore is if you would leave a review on Apple. Have questions about the world of Starside? Tired of waiting each week for a new chapter to come out? Go to Amazon and start reading. See you next time.